Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. You're listening to Eye on the Community. I'm Vicki Pepper. To date, your Love Unleashed Dog Rescue in Riverside has found homes for over 500 dogs, helping shelter dogs, strays, and owner surrenders. And while they specialize in large breeds, founder, president, and heart and soul of your Love Unleashed, Brandy Knuckle, is committed to helping every dog she can. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Brandy, before we get too far into the interview, you've also brought a very special guest with you. Can you tell us about him? I did. I brought you a 10-month-old purebred German Shepherd named Tank that was found in Merino Valley as a stray and I couldn't believe it when the gentleman brought him out and said here he is and he is gorgeous and friendly and available for adoption and he is my most social and my most regal boy so I wanted to share him with you guys today. We are so excited anytime someone brings a dog into the studio it always goes over very well with our staff so we appreciate that. Uh, start by giving us an overview of your love unleashed. Back in 2004 I was a dog trainer and I always took on behavioral dogs naturally. I don't know why I was naturally drawn to that, but I think as a society we have created problems in dog that people have created, not that dogs have created. And so I started off as a behavioral trainer and I would do board and trains when I lived in Sacramento. And I would have people pay for me to train their dogs, then never come and pick them up, which baffles me because the amount of money people spent for me to train their dogs was not pocket change, mm. but they would essentially dump them. And I think that there was this idea sometimes that although I said I could fix them, they would pay for me to essentially babysit them thinking that I could never change their dog and I would behaviorally change their dog and then they wouldn't get them. So I would then find homes for them. And that's kind of how it started. I never intended to be a dog rescuer. I only ever intended to train dogs because people were not doing right by the animals. So then that kind of fed into rescue. And then part of what I learned while training was that so many dogs that we have are taken to shelters or euthanized for behaviors we as adults have created in them, not not behaviors dogs have created for themselves. So we allow dogs to do things that we think are cute, that when they get to be 100 pounds are not so cute and scary for people who don't know dogs, scary for children. And all of those things are reasons why dogs are dumped at shelters. And it's a human problem. It's not a dog issue. And it's regardless of the breed. I've had friendly pit bulls. I've had friendly Akitas. I've had friendly Mastiffs. I've had mean Golden Retrievers. I've had mean Cocker Spaniels. I've had mean German Shepherds. I've had mean every breed of dog. And I think that we fail them. I think that every dog can be rehabilitated. Sans being like a personal, somebody's dog that has just some type of a 
neurological issue perhaps that maybe makes them neurologically unfit to be around people or children, then I think that we have to address those things one at a time. But I think that there is a home for every dog, whether they are dog friendly, whether they are kid friendly, whether they are people friendly, there is almost always a home for every single dog. What services are offered by your Love Unleashed? I am a currently right now an eight acre dog rescue. I do board as well. 90% of my clientele is repeat adopters that already have been adopted for me. So they're all of my dogs that come back. So I don't typically do dogs from the public. I have taken dogs in from the public for boarding, but there is a requirement that they are temperament tested before they are placed with my dogs. All the dogs that were previously adopted for me obviously were temperament tested before they left. So I do not temperament test them to come back because they are my kids. So they get to come back and run and play with the rest of their friends. Now you are known for doing pack walks. Can you tell us about those? The pack walk. I like to do a live pack walk. People on the Nextdoor app or in our community always say there's one lady at the end of the road and she walks with 50 plus dogs. It's the craziest (laughs) thing we've ever seen. And I suppose it could be crazy, but it's not to me because I feel like, you know, we allow a daycare person to walk with 30 kids in a parking lot or play out in a schoolyard with them. And I just do it with dogs. And I think it just fascinates people because I think the number one question I get asked is, why are they not fighting each other? And I'm like, why would they be fighting each other? Because they're all siblings to themselves. You know, you do have siblings that pick on each other or steal a ball or grumble at somebody. But there's just not an episode where they just fight because they want to. And I know it looks crazy, but I love that I do that. I love that people think it's crazy because I feel like it's my (laughs) natural life. And I think, one, when you had come to see it yourself, I was so excited for you because it's not very often that people get to come and be a part of it and see it. It's not very often I can photograph it or I can videotape it because I'm usually the one in front of it to be able to not see what that looks like to other people. But recently I got a picture taken, I think I showed you, of me on the rock where all the dogs Mm -hmm. were surrounding me. And I was like, okay, I see now why people think that's a little bit crazy, Um, (laughs) but I love it. And the program works. It's worked for 20 years, so I don't intend on stopping. And like you said, I was there a couple weeks ago to witness this. And it really is this magical thing where you just see 50 dogs (laughs) out of nowhere and you're like, oh my God, this is heaven. What's interesting about those pack walks, though, is that the dogs train each other. Right. Can you tell us about that? Yes. And I think we had an experience with that between you and I, too, where mid-pack walk, my dogs, who I have seven of my own, when we get a brand new dog, for instance, I don't automatically bring a dog out and put him in a pack walk. They graduate to a pack walk. And I think we may have discussed that. It would be unfair for me to grab a brand new dog and be like, here you go, figure it out and have them not be overwhelmed. But the dogs that are learning to socialize, the other adult dogs that are resident dogs, which are typically my own and or long-term clients that have not been adopted do train these dogs to, you know, people assume a lot of times that it's me. And yes, there is an element of it that is me, but really they are taught by other dogs. So if the other dogs go for a pack walk and a group of dogs starts to move forward, the other dog will just start to move forward naturally because that's the way the pack is moving. But that also stands for correction. So dogs that are not behaving, I may address them verbally, you know, hey, you know, we're not doing that off enough. And if they don't respond, my dogs will then step in and have a conversation, which I think is what happened (laughs) for you, where I can point out after the fact a dog that may have been a bully on a walk, once we get back to, say, the water bowl at the end, 
one of my dogs will go over to that dog and give them a vocal correction and or assert dominance over them like, look, she's asked you twice. We're not going to ask you again. So and dogs respond to dog behavior sometimes better than to humans because they speak the same language. Tell us about the behaviors that are seen in one breed of dog that are considered cute but are considered aggressive in other breeds. Typically, the problem that I see at most municipal shelters, and there are some shelters, as you know, that are far worse than others, is everybody thinks that a husky who talks and chatters is cute from the time they're a puppy to the time they're adult. A dog can woo and grumble and look how cute that is. But you trade that over into a Rottweiler. You take away the fluff. You make that dog a black and brown dog. And that same dog who vocalizes, and as a Rottie owner myself, Rotties are my favorite breed of dog. Every Rottweiler that I own has talked. And by talking, I mean they grumble and they talk back. They have sass. In a shelter system, if a Rottweiler so much as grumbles under their breath, they are deemed aggressive. They are deemed rescue only. And the percentage for adoption is already low for that breed. When they make them rescue only, it's like a 17% chance they'll be adopted. So my point only is that we think a behavior is cute. We teach dogs to speak. We teach dogs to vocalize. But when they're put in a shelter situation with uneducated people who don't understand that Rottweilers also speak. These dogs are then code red and euthanized nine times more than any other breed of dog and pit bulls, Rottweilers and pit bulls both. If they so much as talk and it's not identifiable to somebody who is unknown about dog breeds, those dogs will be euthanized first. I'm speaking with Brandy Knuckle, president and founder of Your Love Unleashed Dog Rescue in Riverside. What are some of the common misconceptions people have about various breeds of dogs? I think it goes with various breeds of dogs, but I think it also goes with the misconception of the idea of what a rescue dog is. I think that includes the shelter, and I think that includes local rescues, is the assumption that a dog that is at a shelter or a dog that is at a rescue is a bad dog. And I've heard this time and time again, well, we don't want to get a dog from the shelter because they're there for a reason. And that's just not true. A lot of times these dogs are stray on the street. These dogs get out from insecure fencing. Sometimes these dogs are dumped. And you can't make a determination about what a dog is until you physically can put hands on a dog. And we make that mistake all the time that rescue dogs, well, we don't know their history. Okay, well, when your children are born, you don't know their history either. Like, you hope that your genetics are good and that we have nothing happen, but people Mm -hmm. will say, oh, we don't want to spend the money. We don't know if he has good hips or he has a good temperament. Well, those are things you're going to find out, but we just assume that dogs that get picked up by animal control are bad dogs. And I will tell you, 90% of the dogs that I bring into the rescue from the animal shelter, I am told are bad dogs by animal control, by shelter staff. And these are dogs I'm told are aggressive, that are not dog friendly. And I turn right around and in a week's time have them walking with 58 dogs. Like either somebody's not telling the truth or we're just afraid of dogs and not willing to admit it. And that's what I think normally happens. The other misconception about our rescue is also that we are in it for the money. I get people that ask me that all the time. Wow, you must make a lot of money. And I'm like, you have no idea how much money I don't make actually and how much I actually spend. But the misconception about sometimes even where the funds go, like where adoption fees come from, what that entails, why it costs so much, why it costs not enough. You know, I think it, you get both ends of the spectrum where somebody will say, oh, well, we got a dog for free at the shelter. And I remind them that they are also government funded, whereas we are not. All of our money comes from donations. We get, you know, tax donations that people donate. We sometimes get surgeries covered. We get supplies covered. But a lot of these municipal shelters are government funded. Well, their money is always there. Our money is sometimes not there. And then we have to replenish that. But the other misconceptions about 
about rescue dogs mostly is just that they're not dogs that are worthy of being adopted. And I think that that's the worst idea that somebody could come up with is that you come to a rescue and that we rescue these dogs to rehabilitate them to not find them a forever home. Like our goal is always going to be that when we place a dog that they don't come back. And I think my return on dogs is like 0.1. Like I've had two dogs returned in the 11 years I've been in Riverside County. And both times, one was due to losing a house and one was due to loss of a family member. But it's never been because the dog wasn't a match for a family. It's only ever been because some extenuating circumstance didn't allow them to have the dog. And in that case, I take the dog back automatically. That's part of my contract is if a dog is adopted from me, then they automatically come back to me. Unless there's a reason that I myself can't take the dog if the dog has now become aggressive and I can't temperament tested or something similar to that. And that brings me to my next question for you, because I feel like you evaluate the personality of the humans you adopt to as much as you evaluate the personality of the dogs you adopt out. And sometimes you've had to tell adopters who come to you and say, I want this dog that this isn't the dog for you. But when your dog comes along, I will let you know. What reaction do you get from those adopters, both in the short term and then also in the long term? Um, I actually have a few kind of stories that surround that. I have friends of mine that, you know, I've gotten a call about a dog and been on my way to meet a dog at a residence. And that's part of what I do. If I take it in owner surrenders, I go and I do a meet and greet. I typically bring one of my resident dogs to meet the dog. But I have gone to a place and picked up a dog and then immediately called somebody and said, hey, I just found your next dog. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, I know you don't believe me, but just know that this is your dog. Okay. You know, and sure enough, and I'll give you an example. I just had a French bulldog that I got that was going to be euthanized because the owner did not want to pay for emergency surgery because the dog had eaten sago palm seeds, which are toxic to dogs and almost always fatal in any Mm -hmm. breed of dog. And the vet called me and said, look, they want to euthanize. He's not willing to do the surgery. And I said, no, just give me the dog. We'll take care of it. And my best friend in Sacramento, I knew had lost a similar dog, a white and spotted French bulldog. And I told her, I have your dog. And she's like, I'm not looking for a dog. I said, I know, but I just want you to know I have your dog. And so I didn't say anything. And people kept saying, you know, oh my gosh, we love this dog. And she's so cute. And is she available? And I said, no, not yet. She already has a family, but if she's available, let you guys know. And sure enough, they drove out from Sacramento and she now has her own Instagram page. And she tells me (laughs) she's the most loving dog I never knew I needed. I can't believe you knew I needed this dog. And, you know, thanked me for that. But I just knew that was her dog. And I don't know how else to say that other than that is part of my matchmaking is I get a dog and I'm like, nope, I know exactly where this dog is going. And nine times out of 10 people say, hey, just let me know when you get my next dog. And it's kind of a joke. But then I find their next dog and then... The answer is usually, you know, like, I can't believe you knew I needed this dog or this was the perfect dog. So that has happened. And then I've also had people who have come to the rescue, for instance, and looked at a boxer mixed dog. And although their application was fantastic and they said they were an active family, which is say what we were looking for that dog, upon talking to them in my face, they expressed like that their son was in travel league soccer and that their daughter was in dance and they weren't home all the time. And I was like, it's a boxer. Like you're not going to get to have a house if you cannot be home to exercise this dog. And he was going to be the only dog. And I was like, that's not really 
the dog that you need. And I was able to match them up with a shepherd mix, probably mixed with at that point, I think was a like a shepherd, Australian shepherd mix. And they agreed, you know, down the line. And a lot of times it's not right away, but you know, four or five months in, I'll get a message that just says, you know what, we're so glad you brought this dog into our life. Like you were absolutely right. This dog fits in perfectly. And I explain to people that I fail the dog if I don't match them appropriately because I'm not helping them. If I put my adopters in a position where they take a dog that is not a fit for them, then number one, I did a disservice to the dog. And number two, I'm going to get the dog back, which ultimately is poor for the dog to make them start all over. So if I am not positive that the match is exactly a match, then the dog does not go home to those people. Why are you so specific about the descriptions of the breeds that you have up for adoption? I think being a rescue partner within the shelter and as a nonprofit rescue, you have to disclose what I call the truth about dogs. And we make a very bad habit in society of not disclosing breeds that we deem are less likely to be adopted, whether it be a pit bull, whether it be a Rottweiler, whether it be a German Shepherd, whether it be a Doberman, an Akita, a Mastiff. We like to call these dogs shepherd mixes because for some reason it just rolls off your tongue a little bit better. But it is a failure to the dog if you don't disclose the breed of dog because there are some people who if they are renters perhaps if they have a clause in their contract maybe they're renting a house and they can't have a dog more than 40 pounds or their landlord has says you can't have a pit bull mix or you can't have a rottweiler mix for whatever reason for their insurance or what have you i always disclose and i do know that as a rescue i have seen other rescues who i will not name because it's not my business but we like to give dogs favorable breeds like oh it's a golden retriever mix okay well it's still a golden retriever mix with a pit So it is your duty to disclose the breed of dogs so that people can make an informed decision for themselves. If they want a pit bull, they can adopt a pit bull. If they do not want a pit bull, it is unfair for you to sell a dog as something other than exactly what it is and let people make that decision for themselves. Because nine times out of 10, what happens is you have a family who has disclosed they need a dog under 30 pounds. It is in their rental contract and it cannot be a pit bull. They DNA test the dog. Six months later, they find out the dog is pit bull in Labrador. Their landlord says they can't have the dog. They contact their rescue and the rescue says, you know, you're an irresponsible dog owner. How could you give your dog up? But the truth is, had it been disclosed from the very beginning, these people could have made an informed decision about the type of dog that they wanted to welcome into their family. And people have the right to make that choice. I'm speaking with Brandy Knuckle, founder and president of Your Love Unleashed Dog Rescue in Riverside. What are some things that people need to consider before adding a dog to their family? I think number one is the commitment that dogs are a lifetime commitment. And a lot of people like to do the fly by night. Oh, my gosh, that puppy is so cute. And I just say, you know, that puppy is also going to be 120 pounds and, you know, needs training and needs the proper exercise and, you know, food and water and shelter and all the things that you would do and, you know, a commitment to the vet care. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I've owned, you know, puppies all my life. And I'm like, okay, but you've not owned one of my puppies. So Mm -hmm. there's different rules as far as that goes. But it's the commitment and the willingness to exercise. Even on my live pack walk videos, I tell people exercise your dogs. It's the number one reason that people return a dog to the shelter is the dog is destroying backyards. The dog is destructive. But when you get down to the root of it, the dog is not being exercised properly. And unexercised dogs destroy everything. My dogs still love to dig. 
and I exercise them three to four times a day for an hour a day on a pack walk, playing fetch. But we make this mistake that people who own a backyard, well, we have a big backyard. Okay, well, when you put your dog outside by himself, he's not running laps. He's sitting at the back door waiting to come back in. Mm -hmm. So your backyard is not a means of exercise unless you're out there with them. So this whole like, well, we put them out there to go to the bathroom. Okay, well, is he supposed to play fetch by himself? Like, why are we not? walking our dogs? Why are we not stimulating their brain? Why are we not doing all the things that would just help them? If we did that, dogs that are tired sleep. They don't Mm -hmm. destroy your house if they're asleep. Mm -hmm. So for instance, I am here now. I have 43 dogs at my house that are asleep in kennels in the house with Spotify on. I can click on the camera and tell you that they're all asleep, but they're not going to destroy my stuff while I'm gone because I got up at 530, did my pack walk, everybody got fed and they're all relaxing and enjoying the air conditioner and music. Why is it so important to spay and neuter? Oh gosh, the big one. Number one, we are way overpopulated even in the rescue world, even in the municipal shelters. We euthanize so many dogs because of both backyard breeders and irresponsible pet ownership, where sometimes it is, to me, a like lack of education. Like somebody has told them, oh, spaying and neutering is bad, and it's great for your kids to see the dog have a baby for the first time. And I'm like, where did this idea come from that, oh, we want to let her have a litter. I want my kids to see the dog have puppies. And I'm like, but like, why? Like, what is the reason why? You can educate your children. We have so many videos that are educational in in schools, on YouTube. If you want to see a mama dog give birth, log into YouTube. They'll show you a live one. You don't have to do it at your house for your kids Mm -hmm. to be able to get the benefit of learning. If that's what you want them to learn, go to your municipal shelter and ask them, hey, you know, you have a mama dog. You know, do you guys do that as a live welcome puppies? I have always done that on when I get a mama dog. A lot of people will say, will you go live when she has puppies? I do sometimes to educate them on how difficult it can be when you don't know what you're doing if a mama has trouble with puppies, having puppies at home. I fortunately have been around that, but you know, you have moms that have trouble. They have to be rushed to the emergency because they need a C-section. They have a puppy that's stuck. If you don't know anything about dog, your dogs are going to die. Your puppies can die, you know, because you Mm -hmm. don't know the right, the right way to do that. And a lot of times people see that as a way of making money, which people like myself don't ever love to hear. It's like, oh, yeah, we can't wait to breed her because my dad says these puppies can sell for X amount of dollars. And I'm like, you know, (laughs) Um, and then when you are done breeding this puppy, you dump her at a shelter and the person they call is me to say, hey, this German Shepherd's been bred 10 times, you know, and Mm -hmm. now she has memory tumors and she has hemangiosarcoma and she has all this stuff because she was bred repeatedly then that creates the anger in me where I'm like, why are we not fixing our pets? Like we make it easier. It's been difficult now post COVID to get dogs in on like, for instance, low cost spay neuters, which I am partnered with Mary S. Roberts with their lifeline clinic. I may consider a volume client and I've been fortunate to get standing appointments and have been able to give them to community members when I don't use them for my mobile clients that say, you know, I really want to get my dog fixed, but I can't get him until August and I'm afraid he's going to get my female pregnant. And I will snatch up their female and say, I will get her in Monday because the Mm -hmm. last thing I want is more puppies. And I know that we think, I know that we think that puppies are so cute, but I would take 10, 10 months olds versus a litter of puppies because it's just so much work. And we all think they're cute, but nobody sees the work it takes to raise a litter from start to finish. And I do it by myself. I do have, (laughs) are you talking tank? Are you speaking? Oh, you got quiet now. You got quiet. You were trying to talk to me. He just wanted our attention. Do you want our attention? Are you, do you need a chewy? I know. You're such a baby. Oh. You can sit down. I guess now would be a good time to bring out the toy I brought for him. Oh, you brought him a toy. <gasps> Go get your toy. Look it. Oh. oh. Hold on. Let me unbuckle you. Oh, here he comes. Go get it. Here, let me unbuckle you. Oh. Here you go. Oh, 
your toy. Oh. oh. Go get it. I know. I'm letting you go. Go get it. Go get your toy. Go get it. Oh. This is for you. Good boy. You brought it back. Oh, he's going to kill it right now. Good boy. Is that what you needed? A toy and not my hand? Get it. Get it. Ready? Get it. Get it. Where's the squeaker? Sit. Good boy. You ready? Got it. Oh, he's super happy. I forgot what I was saying. I uh, want to give a shout out to the Miracles and Dreams Foundation who gave me some toys to donate to you. Oh, how so fun. That's awesome. Yay, Tank. But we were talking about spaying and neutering. Oh, spaying and, and neutering. And people think puppies are cute. And puppies um, are cute. Puppies are cute, but puppies are a lot of work. And when I have volunteers even come, they're like, dude, how in the world are you doing this? And I'm like, yeah, it's so cute, huh? Isn't that so awesome? Like, I play with puppies all day and they're like... Right, for like an hour, but like, what about the poop, the food, the cleanup, the shots? Mm. The, and I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, it's not a joke. And that being said, I also don't let my puppies leave without having mandatory, a minimum of two sets of core vaccines because of parvo and distemper. It's huge. Mm. We're having another huge parvo outbreak in Riverside County. Every vet that I speak to is like, I don't know what's going on, but the strain this year is bad. We had it happen I'll give you an example just with puppies again. We had Parvo come through my rescue and I lost 10 puppies in four days. And although I did everything right, there are still things that I can't control and unvaccinated puppies is one of them. Not only are we backyard breeding, not only are we not spaying and neutering, we're not even vaccinating the puppies that we do have. And then we're, they're getting sick and then we're now selling them to families for a profit and the families take home a dog that dies. So mm. it goes both ways. I mean, I feel like I fight for animals to be able to rescue, rehabilitate, spay and neuter and find them good homes. And then meanwhile, I've got a neighbor who can breed and breed and breed and make a grip load of money that I am not making, which is not the reason I do it anyway. But to watch somebody benefit off of not spaying and neutering their dog and selling their dog for profit while I get the phone call about the dog they then dump at the shelter mm. is probably the most frustrating thing because I'm always willing to take that dog that nobody wants and fix them up, get them surgery. And we, whether they get adopted or they stay with me long-term, I've got a few now that are going to be a hospice dog or a long-term dog that will never be adopted. They don't have to die, but they get to live with me. So they get the best thing is they get to just be a dog for the rest of their life and not have to worry about somebody else trying to make money off of them. I'm speaking with Brandy Knuckle, founder and president of Your Love Unleashed Dog Rescue. Also, here is one of the dogs up for adoption tank. You can probably hear him playing with his toy in the background. What is the adoption process like at Your Love Unleashed? A lot of the dogs are posted on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash yourloveunleashed. We also have a website, which is yourloveunleashed.org. You can click on available dogs for adoption. We try and post, I say we, I do have some social media helpers, post the dogs that are available and a lot of their character traits, whether or not they are crate trained, whether or not they are housebroken. All of my adult dogs, which are dogs that are over 10 months old, are all crate trained, housebroken, and have basic obedience under their belt, which is the sit, stay, down, off, leave it, and are all socialized. So 90%, I would say 95% of my dogs can go to homes with other dogs. They are all very socialized, which is the benefit of coming from my rescue specifically is all the dogs are socialized. I do have dogs that are dog selective, and those dogs I can only integrate into the pack with dogs I know they are safe with. But the rest of the dogs, as you saw in a pack walk, can all play with each other, and they do have different play styles, and I have to be mindful of what play styles work best 
best for others and what play styles trigger behaviors and others that I don't want and then keep them separated for that. But they're all socialized. They get socialized from the time they start. If I get them as puppies, if they're born there, they're the most socialized dog you're ever going to meet because Mm -hmm. they started there. But they're all taught basic stuff. I get dogs that are food aggressive. We fix it. I get dogs that are toy possessive. I fix it. I get dogs that want to dominate play. We fix it. There's not much that can't be fixed because it's a lot of times things that adults and humans have created in dogs like I would mentioned before. Um, A lot of behaviors dogs are allowed to do because we all think it's so cute until they get to be 100 pounds and that one little baby growl that you thought was so cute is now an adult 140 pound dog growling at you and that dog is now deemed aggressive because you didn't correct it before. And I have to tell you, no, your dog is not aggressive. You just allowed your dog to dictate the behavior and when you correct that, I usually have to step in and correct that and it fascinates people that I'm not afraid but they're dogs I just remind them they're still a dog so even though they think that they're going to punk me for instance I look at them and I'm like you know I get what you're doing right and they they look at me honest to God Pepper like oh she's not going to let me not do this and I'm like I mean you're willing I mean if you want to give it a go I'm willing to sit here and they're like nah I'll just maybe bite you tomorrow and I'm like okay well that's good and then they never do I get warned all the time this dog's going to bite I'm like okay well then I prepare myself and then I'm never bit by that dog and it just proves to me that not that necessarily what I have is a gift or it's magic I just understand the dog and I think people who don't understand dogs get bit because they're like oh I think he's smiling and being happy with me take no treats (laughs) Tank knows where the treats are you can't have them (laughs) sir no sir you can't have my treats can you sit your butt can you sit if you sit I'll give you one thank you you must do as Look you're told, that. right? Because Mama said, good boy. What else can you do? I didn't bring the dog that dances. Can you be patient? Can you? You can hand me your paw. Shake. This one. This one. You were going to give it to me. Give it to me now. This one. This one right here. Thanks. Gentle. Thanks. Look at that. What is that? Gentle. Well, and that's the other thing. You know, a lot of these dogs go to homes with kids. And so you can't, I call it trigger touch. Like you, I do ear pulls. I do tail pulls. I do feet grabs, you know, hands in the mouth, opening their mouth, putting your hands in. Things that kids will do to dogs that would inherently be unsafe if the dog is not tested properly. If I have a dog that's questionable, and for me, a dog that is questionable just means that they pause. All they have to do is pause. If I introduce a child and the dog does not move to go meet them right away, I make them a no-kid home. People say, oh, well, why would you do that? The pause is enough to tell me that they're unsure. And if Mm. they're unsure, then so am I. So I'm not going to let them pause and then go and meet a child. I may try and do it again at a different time. But if they even pause, a lot of these dogs will go right up to a kid and be happy. If I bring them out and they hesitate, that's enough for me to say, you know what, I'm not going to introduce you today because they gave me the pause of like, I'm not sure. Well, I'm not sure means that it's my job to keep the child safe and also the dog because a dog can be euthanized. If I said, no, no, go ahead and meet him, and then they got scared and bit a child, the first thing that would happen was they would euthanize a dog. And it's my responsibility just as much for people to keep them safe as it is for me to keep the dog safe. So if it's an unsafe situation for a dog, it is my job as their owner to make sure I don't put them in a situation where they have to feel like they have to defend me or something else to put them in a situation where they could get hurt.
What would you say is the most rewarding part of this for you? The most rewarding is definitely in the matchmaking. You know, I've had a lot of sometimes long-term rescue dogs that I have just said, like, there's really not going to be a home for this dog. You know, they're definitely a sordid soul, but, like, I can keep them. And then have somebody come and visit the property and see the dog who's not listed anywhere because I've decided to quit posting the dog because they're really not getting any feedback. Have somebody come visit the property with another adopter and say, what about that dog up on the hill? And I'm like, oh, she's not available for adoption. You know, she's unadoptable. Well, why is she unadoptable? Well, she's nervous and she's very skittish. And well, can we meet her? Sure, but I just have to be honest with you. Like this dog is not for everybody. Like she's very scared and and then have them adopt her and have her go to like the most perfect home where I'm like, okay, well you can meet her. But, and I tell adopters that come, even a meet and greet, people get so excited to come meet a dog. And I tell them, the only thing I cannot control right now is whether or not the dog likes you. As much as you think I can, I cannot say to the dog, go over there and like them. Okay. They want to take you home. The dog determines that. And I tried to set people up for this particular dog. And I said, look, I'm not going to lie. She's not going to come over and and sniff you. She's not going to let you touch her. But I will bring her out just to appease you. You can sit in the chair and wait and tell me that dog did not walk over to them and she did not put her head in his lap. And I'm like, what is going on? And just immediately cried because I'm like, there's no way. And it reminded me that even though I've believed that about a dog, like, you know, we've tried so much. It's been nine months. She's just, you know, she's just meant to be here. Her people came. She was not listed. They came to see a different dog, and this dog came over and put her head in their lap. And I was like, and we're done. So it (laughs) happens. Um, You just can't rule it out. And I think those are my biggest surprises. But the other most rewarding is just that I get updates. And I think this happened, I think, while you were there with me, too, is um, the universe will just randomly tell my adopters to send me messages Mm -hmm. while people are with me. And it's like, you know, we adopted Molly, you know, six years ago. And I just want to tell you, you know, she's the most amazing dog we've ever had. And I'm like, this is why. Like, this is why. Because the people always respond with feedback about just how wonderful the dogs have been, how fun the process was, how much fun it was meeting me because I'm goofy, crazy dog lady. (laughs) But that, you know, they would never adopt Not for me. Again, I have adopters that have come back and repeat adopted three and four dogs from the same family or the husband and wife will adopt, their daughter will come back and adopt, then their son will come and adopt. But I do have families that will probably never buy a dog or adopt a dog from a shelter. For as long as I am standing, they will come and get what they call a brandy dog. I mean, I love it because I get updates. They're on Christmas cards. They take them on vacation. They fly these dogs places. They put these dogs on yachts. These dogs go (laughs) everywhere. I have dogs in lower class neighborhoods. I have dogs in middle class neighborhoods. I have dogs in high class neighborhoods. My dogs have made it. I think I have a dog in almost every state except for Maine. I have dogs in Hawaii. People are like, how did that happen? Lots of work. But I have dogs pretty much in every single state. And I I do make people come for a meet and greet. It is mandatory. We do not ship dogs out to be adopted that have not been met face to face. I would never do that to a dog. Could you imagine getting on an airplane, some stranger takes you off a plane and you're like, hi, you're my dog. Yeah, I don't know that that would go over very well. So it's a mandatory meet and greet. So the part of the process as far as adoption goes is they see a dog that they like on the available dog page. They can email. There is an application on the yourloveunleashed.org website to apply. Just applying for a dog does not guarantee an adoption. So your application is approved. If your application is approved, then a meet and greet is scheduled for every human living in the house and every other resident dog that lives there. 
if it's a puppy, then we don't do a mandatory meet and greet because puppies can integrate pretty well. If it's an adult dog, then we have to have every other dog member come there for the safety of every dog. I want to be able to see the interaction. And that has also happened where somebody says, well, he doesn't love him now, but he will later. I'm not sending my dog home to a he might love him later situation where Mm -hmm. we have a vet bill because you don't know the energy of your dog. So it's mandatory that they meet them on that meet and greet day. If the match is good, the dog can go home the same day. And then they go home with what I call an adoption goodie bag, which people are always like floored by. But usually it's like a dog toy box, a blanket, leash and collar, a bag of their dog food, some toys, their favorite snacks, their dog blanket, and any other thing that they came with so that they have at least a good start whenever they go. Something that is theirs that is from the house, either their kennel blanket so that they have their smell. Probably the second, my second favorite, most rewarding part if there is, a, is um, we do family photos at the end. So I have a tree in my on my property that has these pretty flowing green leaves and I set the families up and photography is probably my second favorite thing besides dog. So getting that family photo shoot, I end up seeing that family photo on a Christmas card the very next year and I'm Aww. like, oh, your photographer was awesome. And they're like, we love her so much. But I think the adoption photos probably seal the deal. And a lot of the followers on my pages are like, we love adoption photos, you know, like, and I probably have, I think if you search, there's a folder called like Forever Homes Found. You can see like every family's adoption photo, all the dogs that have ever been adopted. And then even the reviews, people that comment. And I quit asking people for reviews because part of that, I think, is just a, a self-serving thing of like, we hope you had a good experience. But usually they call me or they shoot me a text and I don't ever post that stuff. But I'm always like, OK, no, I think I did the right thing here. So we all want to know that we're doing the right thing. And for me, the most important thing is that that dog is safe in a home with new people. I'm speaking with Brandy Knuckle founder and president of Your Love Unleashed Dog Rescue in Riverside. She's also brought in one of the dogs that is up for adoption. His name is Tank, and you might hear him breathing or playing with toys in the background. How can someone reach out to you or get more information about Your Love Unleashed? We do have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash yourloveunleashed. And we also have a website, which is yourloveunleashed.org. That does have our contact information, our mailing address, phone number, ways to donate, our Amazon wish list, all the available dogs, about the rescue, ways to volunteer. They can also email at yourloveunleashed at gmail.com, then the Facebook page and the actual website as well. And tell us about the microchip services you offer. I do offer mobile microchip and vaccine services here in Riverside County. Microchipping your pets is so important every year, 4th of July, every year, even rurally, just naturally people, you know, you have gardeners that leave gates open and it is the easiest way for a pet to be brought home. Obviously a leash, I mean, having the dog with a collar and their name tag is good. If you can't afford a collar, get a regular collar from Dollar Tree and write your name on it in Sharpie. If you can't afford to buy a tag, there's lots of ways to help your dog get back home. I get phone calls every 4th of July. Can you hold this dog? Can you hold this dog? Can you hold this dog? We found this dog. The other thing is we get a lot of dogs that these dogs come microchip from the shelter. Unfortunately, the shelter does not register the chip. They rely on the owners to do that. Owners get home with a brand new dog. Very excited. Don't register the chip. Nothing is worse than me calling to say, I found this dog, and they say, well, he has a microchip, but they didn't register it. It might as well not be a microchip. So yes, we can get backtrack information a lot of times by calling the shelter to find out who they adopted the dog to, but if they did not put their correct info, it's a dead end. So then the dog has a microchip that is essentially useless. So when I come out and do microchip clinics, all of the chips are registered on site, so your dog leaves with your information already active. It's uh, $25 per dog per chip. We also 
also do clinics locally too. We've done one at Candace's Grooming Shop. They're at uh, Van Buren and Wood, but we do them locally. And we usually even lower the rate to get a lot of these dogs microchip because it's most important that all these dogs get to go home. I've been speaking with Brandy Knuckle, founder and president of Your Love Unleashed Dog Rescue in Riverside. Thank you so much for coming in today. And thank you for making all of our lives a little more brighter with these dogs. Thanks for having me. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.